0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Caroline Cotto of Renewal Mill, upcycling byproducts from food manufacturing into premium and delicious ingredients and products. Before launching Renewal Mill, Caroline worked at the White House for First Lady Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign and the United Nations World Food Program, which had a direct impact on the launch of Renewal Mill. Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today I'm joined by Caroline Cotto of Renewal Mill. Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me, super excited to be here.
0: Of course, so I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like?
1: Yeah, so I grew up on um, Cape Cod, Massachusetts in a town called Sandwich. Um, and I have pretty entrepreneurial pan- parents because Cape Cod is like a tourist town. So um, in order to keep work all year round, you have to kind of be a little bit scrappy. So. Um, My dad is a landscaper in the summer and then sells Christmas trees in the winter. Uh, My mom runs an ice cream store uh, actually named after me. So she uh, does that for the summer months. Um, And yeah, they just, you know, really instilled sort of the values of kind of pursuing what you're passionate about and, and working hard.
0: Definitely, that, that's really cool um, and unique uh, upbringing. I would say, what, what would you say your part in that was? Did you have an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset as well? Say, uh, helping your mom with that ice cream store. What did that look like growing up?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think I've always been a very hands-on learner and excited about kind of forging my own path. Um, so, definitely, as a kid, was you know really into like science fair, kind of creating lots of like experiments and projects, um, starting small businesses, to sell things that I was making, Um, and then as I got older, yeah, definitely helped out my parents at the ice cream store, um, did a lot in the community to try to, like, you know, just bring everyone together.
0: Definitely. Well, I saw you went on to study at uh, Georgetown University. Uh, What did you study there, and um, what time period was this?
1: Yeah, so I um, graduated from high school in 2010, um, and thought I wanted to be a doctor, so I went to Georgetown and uh, majored in human science with a focus on nutrition. About halfway through, decided that I didn't actually want to be in medicine, um, and so pivoted, and went to study abroad in China for a semester, um, studying like only Chinese language, and when I came back, um, knew that I wanted to kind of spend some more time learning abroad in Asia, so um, yeah, ended up with a degree in in Health science, um, but really tailored most of my experience in college to um, sort of the nutrition side of things and learning
0: about food. Definitely. I'm curious what uh, kind of like shift went in this time period with your mindset of going into wanting to be a doctor and what was going through your mind, like aspiration wise, that you wanted to pursue when uh, studying the language specifically?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I really wanted to be around happy people. (laughs) And uh, when you're a doctor, you're often dealing with people who are kind of sick or they're there for a reason that, um, you know, they don't really want to be there. (laughs) And I, um, kind of also saw through studying that, that our current system is so like reactive. Um, basically people come to the doctor when they have a problem. um, but if you go farther back up the chain, like so many health problems could be prevented if we were sort of proactive and really change the system. And so a lot of my work started focusing on like, oh, like why does obesity exist? It's not because of like people's individual choices, but it's because they live in an area where they can't access a local grocery store or like they only have fast food or convenience stores around them. Um, And I think that kind of inspired me to try to zoom out and work more on a systems level. Um, And then was interested in, in China just because like they have a really rich food culture and this sort of like burgeoning economy. Um, But as they become more globalized, like they're also starting to see a lot of the same health problems that um, the U.S. and sort of other like really quickly developed countries have. Mm. Um, And then when I got there, like I had the idea of studying Chinese culture, but it's really hard to study a culture Mm -hmm. if you don't understand the language. So I kind of decided to put everything down and study just Mandarin so that I could kind of understand um, things through a better lens by understanding just the physical language itself
0: definitely um, following your time studying and prior to renewal mill i'm curious what kind of jobs were you working i saw you have a very uh interesting um resume on your linkedin especially i saw like an opportunity like an internship at the white house that's really neat um, so what kind of di- time period and what kind of jobs were you working prior to renewal mill that led to that opportunity as well
1: yeah so food has kind of been the the thread throughout my entire career so mm-hmm. Um, I actually came back from studying in China to work with Michelle Obama's Let's Move initiative wow. at the White House, um, and there was really focused on they were doing a lot on labeling. So how do we update nutrition labels? Um, how do we get people to drink more water, which is like a key thing for for health and nutrition? Yeah. Um, and then also like creating recipe content for for folks. Um, It was an amazing experience to see like Michelle Obama was very hands on in her sort of policy decisions and in sort of all the programming that happened for Let's Move and um, kind of educating folks about my plate and just in general, like bringing health education to the people, which I think is really exciting. Um, After graduation, I wanted to spend more time still kind of exploring my my time in East Asia. So I went and did a Fulbright Fellowship in Taiwan. Um, was teaching English, but also like nutrition camps there, Um, kind of how do you, how do you read labels in Taiwan? And like, you know, what does that mean when you're looking at bubble tea and other delicious snacks? Um, And then kind of flipped the script and wanted to see, like I had done a lot of work on child obesity at that point, but what does child malnutrition look like? So spent some time in Cambodia working for the UN world food program on rice fortification projects. Mm -hmm. So um, how do we add like vitamins to rice and then serve that at schools so that kids are able to get the the nutrition they need in order to prevent stunting, both like mental and um, physical stunting. Um, And then I came back to the States um, to try to work in nutrition academia. And after a few months there was like, this is not really for me. Like I love, you know, being hands on and um, interacting with people. So I made a complete pivot into tech, um, and ended up working for one of Boston's largest tech companies called HubSpot. Um, and definitely would not be where I am today without that experience, just getting sort of a crash course in all things, all of the acronyms, all of like, what is CAC? What is LTV? Like, how do we measure them? Um, but my work there was really focused on women's diversity. So specifically, like, how do we get more women onto the board? How do we get more women into leadership? How do we get more women into sales and engineering, which are typically male-dominated fields? Mm. Um, and then, not only how do we get them there, but how do we support them with the skills they need to stay there and thrive and um, you know really advocate for themselves in the workplace? So that was a really unique experience. Wow. Um, but after a few years, I was like, no, food is really my passion. So. Um, was looking for a way to combine my experience with tech, with my passion for food, and ended up working um, for the Techstars Farm to Fork Accelerator, okay. um, which launched back in 2018. So it's kind of the, the first food-focused specific accelerator that Techstars was running in partnership with Cargill, which is like the largest ingredients company in the world, um, and Ecolab. Um, which touches almost every food service establishment because they provide also like cleaning products and things. So it um, wow. was a really cool lens into um, incubating 10 different companies along the food supply chain. And that's where I met, met my co-founder for Renewal Mill.
0: Wow. Uh, your, your journey seems like a perfect unison, like uh, flow to lead to this opportunity to upcycle food with your expertise. I'm curious, what inspired you, especially just meeting your co-founder as well, Um, to launch Renewal mill around this 2018 period with Upcycled Food?
1: Yeah, so my co-founder Claire had actually founded Boston's first organic juice company. Um, She was, you know, taking a lot of care to source local organic produce and then just being devastated by the mountain of pulp left over at the end of every day. Hmm. Um, And she tried, you know, baking it into muffins or crackers, but there was just so much of it that she couldn't use, you know, even a fraction of it. Um, And... So she ended up going to grad school for environmental management and happened just fortuitously to meet the owner of, um, one of the largest tofu companies in the country, um, based here in Oakland, California. And he was like, that's cute. Like you think you make a lot of pulp waste in your tiny juicing business. You know, I'm making tons and tons of pulp at my tofu facility every week. Mm. Um, that, you know, is, is at best it's going to animal feed at worst. It's ending up in landfill. Um, And that is, you can kind of think about it like juicing soybeans to make soy milk um, as the first step of making tofu. So um, that's essentially what he was doing. And this soybean pulp, it turns out, is actually full of nutrition. Um, It's like 60% fiber, 20% complete protein. And in countries like Japan, if you made soy milk at home, you would never throw that away. You would, you know, saute it with vegetables or use it in baking. So that's kind of where the idea I got started was just that we're processing out of our food so much of this nutrition. Um, what if there was a different way that we could keep that in the supply chain? So um, started playing around with that and um, quickly found that it, there's a lot of like peer reviewed health studies on its you know, health benefits, um, as well as it has a really neutral flavor and color. So it's great to integrate into traditional flower based products. Hmm. Um, and set out with kind of the vision to create an entire portfolio of these upcycled ingredients um, that were otherwise going to waste but that um, are better for you and better for the planet
0: i hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around caroline's entrepreneurial journey i'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor parachute offering premium bedding and bath essentials looking for an upgrade in your towels for example a bath bundle is the easiest way to upgrade your bathroom and self-care routine Winding down from a long, stressful day can be relieved after washing and drying off with the right towel. The smooth, soft, and absorbent feeling of Parachute towels is incomparable to anything I have ever felt. With multiple color options, the bath bundle is not only feels great, but aesthetically brings your bathroom to life. Not to mention that Parachute offers free shipping and returns within the U.S. and Canada. Make sure to check them out at ParachuteHome.com. That's ParachuteHome.com, and enjoy the rest of the episode. I'm curious in those early days and now as well. Um, where do you look for those ingredients, those upcycled uh, ingredients? Did you look to, towards manufacturers or existing uh, organizations? What that looked like?
1: Yeah. So once we had kind of identified that okara was where we wanted to start, um, we started looking at other like fibrous byproducts of plant-based milk. Um, and so our second ingredient is actually the pulp left over from making oat milk. Um, and then, uh, you can, you know, do similar things with the pulps leftover from making almond milk or, um, like the pea starch leftover from making pea bla- based milks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to keep the entire portfolio gluten-free and plant-based and really focus on that nutrient density. So just making sure that, um, you know, ingredients that we're bringing in like you can upcycle a lot of different things but we wanted to make sure there is value to our customers on the other end definitely Um, and we get a lot of inbound interest actually because byproducts are a huge headache for manufacturers Um, and there's new policies going into place where like certain states are like mandating that manufacturers can no longer put organic waste into landfill so Mm. people are needing solutions and um, we get people reaching out to us being like oh i have you know carrot pulp or, you know, XYZ sort of byproduct. like what, what can you help me do with this?
0: Huh. So I'm, I'm curious then, uh, w- once you end up getting that upcycled ingredient, um, what does that process look like from, from your POV then, uh, once you, the renewal meal actually gets the product to turning it into one of your products that you sell today?
1: Yeah. So we started as purely kind of an ingredients company, yeah. but when you, you know, go out into the market with an ingredient that no one's ever heard of, you know the first question is what does it taste like yeah. so um we started using it in ready-to-eat cookies because we wanted familiar vehicles to introduce novel ingredients so mm. we we're like oh, okay we're gonna use the Ocar in this chocolate chip cookie you know and love a chocolate chip cookie so you know you'll love this um and it turned out people really did enjoy it so we started bringing the ready-to-eat chocolate chip cookies to market um and before the pandemic we were doing quite a bit of sales into food service for those. So like, um, office snacking in the Bay area Mm -hmm. for like big tech companies. Um, obviously with the pandemic things kind of shifted overnight. Um, but we, you know, had these new ingredients and wanted to kind of, you know, bring them to market in, in different ways. So we decided to go into baking mixes, um, because it was a great way to showcase these ingredients in easy to use products that are delicious. um, and you know, All of our products are kind of flour based. So um, it was a kind of classic fit. So we launched a line of just add oil and water, vegan and gluten-free baking mixes, right? As kind of the pandemic was getting off the ground. And um, yeah, a lot of people were at home baking. So it was a good time to be in the baking aisle. Um, And then we recently have just reformulated all of our ready to eat cookies to now feature a second upcycled ingredient. So we're taking leftover vegan butter from Miyoko's Creamery. Um, and use, combining that with our Okara flour to create ready-to-eat cookies. Um, and then we still sell ingredients to both small companies who want to use them in their products as well as like really large multinational brands.
0: Amazing. I'm curious, uh, what does the marketing strategy look like to, especially con- consumers who aren't used to the upcycled ingredients or using those, like convincing them that this product is, has similar taste, um, quality, but better for you?
1: Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a challenge. Um, I think we, we very much lead with taste. So all Mm -hmm. of our products are developed by a five times James Beard award-winning cookbook author who specializes in um, alternative gluten-free flours and chocolate. So they are at heart, extremely delicious. And you know, the best marketing is getting it into someone's mouth so that they can taste it. Um, and the best compliment that we get, in my opinion, is like when people are like, Oh, I had no idea it was, you know, fill in the blank, vegan, gluten-free upcycled. Um, So that's definitely one part of it is kind of leading with taste. Um, We, you know, do target those two customer segments because I think there's some negative, um, you know, stigmas around like what gluten-free and vegan products taste like. And we're trying to upend that and say like, you know, this is super delicious. And it just happens to be vegan and gluten-free. And then from the um, upcycling angle, you know, we're really trying to, to zoom out and say, This product, when you like purchase an upcycled product, you're helping fight food waste, which is helping fight climate change and give that sort of forest for the trees view. Um, When we started, you know, five or six years ago, and we were explaining the concept of what upcycling is, I think people start to say like, oh, is this trash? Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to eat something that's unclean. And so I think it really helps people to conceptualize it when you talk about like, you know, it's very arbitrary how these ingredients come to be labeled as byproducts. Like we put yeah. soybeans into the machine with something that comes out one side, we call soy milk, something that comes out the other side, we call trash. Like that is, you know, pretty, pretty silly. So yeah. um, let's like reframe that and just say that, you know, we're using hundred percent of the food we produce. And there's a very tangible environmental benefit. And we can show you that with data, like how much water is saved, how much carbon is um, saved from being emitted, and how much food is being diverted from landfill. So um, kind of lots of different marketing stories. But the main one is like, it tastes delicious. And um, these are the ways that it's better for the planet.
0: Definitely. Um, So with that marketing as well, can you depict what your main demographic might look like, uh, your main consumer?
1: Yeah. So it actually is quite different for all of our different products. So, um, for the baking mixes, we were a little bit surprised. We thought it would be like millennial moms. who yeah. were like wanting to bake with their kids, which is definitely part of it, but I think it actually skews a bit older. Um, so it's like women mostly, um, in their like fifties and sixties who are baking for people in their family that have dietary restrictions or mm-hmm like Gen Z grandkids that care about the environment. Yeah. So we get a lot of people being like, Oh, like I have a vegan, like my, you know, my son's girlfriend is vegan. She's coming over for dinner. I don't know what to make. So um, I picked up your brownie mix, um, which is is really exciting to see. And then for our ready to eat cookies, it is more like on the go sort of millennial folks who are, you know, get, working through that mid afternoon coffee yeah. um break and looking for like a sweet pick-me-up snack. Um, and then for our flowers and ingredients, we are kind of yeah, targeting companies that are looking for ways to improve the sustainability of their supply chain and might be using something like a coconut flour that they can swap out for our ingredient or that are ready to lean into creating a fully upcycled product for mm-hmm. their line um, and that we can kind of help them tell that marketing story.
0: Amazing. Um, i like to conclude each episode with this. Uh, if you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret, uh, what would that be?
1: Oh, it's a great question. I've definitely learned a lot. Yeah. Um, I think it would be to, you know, really lean on fellow entrepreneurs. It can be... It can be very lonely to be an entrepreneur like our company is like three people total and um, you know a lot of the things that you're asked to do on a daily basis you've never done before yeah. and so it's just a lot of Googling but I think um, one of the most rewarding parts of being an entrepreneur especially in food is just like this huge community of folks that are kind of doing the same thing in, in lanes alongside you and you can reach out to them. So. Um, we often like talk to other fellow founders and say like, Hey, like we tried these four marketing things, you know, only one of them worked. Like, what are you trying? would love to learn what you're up to. Um, and it, and also just to have those conversations of like, Oh wow, really having a down week, like <laughs> had a bunch of product spoil and, um, yeah. just for them to someone to be able to commiserate with you, I think is super helpful. Um, so I'd say, yeah, if don't be like, as you're building your business, definitely reach out to to other entrepreneurs. There's a lot of like online Slack communities and things these days to to engage.
0: Definitely. Well, Caroline, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Renewal Mill at RenewalMill.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.